0: Hello and welcome to the classicist podcast from the Hoover Institution I'm your host Troy Senek here as always with Victor Davis Hansen the Martin and Elia Anderson senior fellow at the Hoover Institution and Victor you and I are recording this less than twenty four hours after uh, the election in the United Kingdom was decided decided telling us that the UK has opted to pull out of the European Union. Let me just start here sort of initial thoughts. Had you been a British citizen, how would you have voted in this election?
1: Well, I would have voted to pull out. And,
0: and give, give us the rationale for why.
1: Well, for two reasons. One was a matter of principle that it's anti-democratic to turn over major decisions on social, cultural, economic, military, political life to an unelected bureaucracy, and that's what was going on in Strasbourg and Brussels. And then second, I go to Europe two or three times a year and I've watched the EU metamorphosize from telling Greeks that bananas from Crete aren't bananas because they're not large enough, or going to beaches and saying this is an EU-approved beach and this is not an EU-approved beach, and then going to the... uh, some of the EU functions in Strasbourg and Belgium, and watching those people interact with citizens. And it's sort of a global elite, sort of like a Davos that's transplanted to Europe. And uh, they have nothing but contempt for the average European. It's sort of the same thing that, that we're seeing in the Sanders and Trump that Elites are not subject to the ramifications of their own ideology. It's not just that they're elites, but there's a real anger. That they're hypocrites. That if Angela Merkel insists that a million people from the war-torn Middle East come into Germany, then we know that she and her family and her friends are not going to be subject to that impact in their neighborhoods and schools and, and, and where they live, who they associate with. It'll be other people, and those other people, when they complain will be called nativist and racist and xenophobes as they already are in the few hours after the the vote to the Brexit successful vote
0: it does it does seem like at some level there's a a reassertion of Identity going on here that at least for the people who voted to exit, there was a sense that no being British is something good and it 's something distinct you know it 's distinct from being a European, you know whatever that means in a political sense do you uh, Do you have the sense, Victor, that that is something that we 're going to start seeing more widely throughout Europe, kind of the rejection of the idea that there 's anything meaningful about this sort of supranational um, it's not citizenship, but you know what I'm saying, the sort of identification with uh, an idea as opposed to a place and a more
1: distinct – Yeah, I culture. think so. I think there's a big backlash growing. The narrative of the EU and the people who are coming into the EU is that a uh, Western civilization, white male, heterosexual Christian post uh, elite has been guilty of all sorts of sins, especially in Britain being a a global colonial power, and therefore they have penance to pay. They can pay it through immigration. They can pay it through neutrality. They can pay it through expanded entitlements. And I think there's some people in Britain say, hey, wait a minute. Whether it's capitalism or whether it's the creation of the modern world or whether it's technology or whether it's science, what exactly have you guys done um, in Pakistan? Or what have you done... In places in Asia, what have you done in you know in other countries within Europe? So we don't want any more telling us that we're guilty of this ology or this ism, and we're proud of the British heritage, and apparently you are too, or you wouldn't want to risk everything to come in here. So it's not xenophobia or racism, but it's a sense that we are Britain of a thousand years of history, and we're not just going to. Handed over to a bunch of bureaucrats in, in Europe that are postmodern and don't believe in anything other than their own privilege. I think that sums up. I was in Britain and Scotland and um, Ireland two weeks ago, and I could. I think if you talk to people, you could see it coming.
0: What do you reckon this means for the future of the EU? There have already been suggestions in some places that this is only the first domino to fall, and that you're going to see sort of similar reactions in other countries, maybe similar referendums.
1: Yeah, I think you're going to see it in places like the Netherlands, Italy, maybe France. I don't know about Greece, but uh, some Western countries. And then the EU is going to devolve into basically Germany and as a hegemon, and then countries around Germany that can um, reflect its uh, its you know its glory. So. I'm a little worried in that sense that there is a, such a thing called a German problem of the 20th century, and NATO had solved it uh, by not allowing Germany to go nuclear and making sure that it was in the NATO alliance. And then the EU came along and said, well, we'll also integrate it. And we'll see to what degree, when that integration starts to erode, whether Germany uh, reasserts itself. But one of the reasons that it, the EU is disintegrating is exactly a fourth reich so if i could use that word that in terms of the value of the euro and trade policy and immigration policy angela merkel was dictating to countries that she thought were beholden to germany either financially or were less powerful so there's a i think there's a latent anti-german strain going through a lot of these countries at one out
0: you know before this vote was cast um President Obama went out of the way to go on the record telling the British people the way that he thought that they should vote, which was to remain in the European Union. I wonder, Victor, is is that an appropriate role for an American president to play to tell the British people that you know, there's, there's a correct way to think about an election like that?
1: No, I, I don't think it is. I got really mad when David Cameron came over here and started lecturing Americans about the Iranian treaty. And I think any country, any republic doesn't like foreign people coming in. And usually they come in as elites and tell people that you don't have the information or you don't have the sophistication or you're not sober and judicious enough to make a uh, disinterested decision. And that's what Obama did. And there's a thing about Obama, both at home and abroad, that as long as he doesn't open his mouth and he doesn't campaign and people don't see him and he doesn't, he doesn't say anything, they don't mind the idea of his transformative idea of a first African-American president, so his polls are 50-50. But as soon as he gets out there and you see that he's an ideologue and he's petulant and he's mean-spirited and he's historically ignorant and people don't like him. He came to California last week and and went to Yosemite. He just couldn't go to Yosemite and enjoy it like most presidents on vacation. He had to lecture us about global warming and who benefits from global warming and what they've done to Yosemite. And and he has that bad habit that every single visit, every single occasion, he tries to politicize, as every ideologue does. And so uh, I think he did the Brexit people a lot of help. There was a lot of resentment against him when I was in Ireland and Scotland, two areas that actually voted to remain. But people don't like that, and uh, most presidents don't do it. If
0: what happens – what happened rather in Britain ends up being just the first chapter in a Europe that you start to see pulling apart a little bit, what kind of implications might that have for international security, Victor? I mean you mentioned Germany, but I'm also thinking specifically as you move east, a um, increasingly assertive Vladimir Putin over the last couple of years.
1: Well, it already had happened that a lot of countries like Czechoslovakia and Poland and Hungary, once – Obama came in in 2009 and pulled out of the anti-ballistic missile pact that we had made with two two Eastern European countries. And once they saw that really Europe was, as you say, starting to fragment, and more important, the United States is not to be counted on as a muscular protector, they made the necessary adjustments. So I think what's going to happen is that you're going to have a European continent that's trisected. Eastern Europe will be Uh, under the influence probably of Putin, and Germany will have some non-aggression pact with Putin, and then it will have a sphere around it of dependent countries, and then the West, uh, Western Europe, and I'm thinking of France and the Netherlands, maybe Belgium, uh, and maybe the Iberian Peninsula. They'll look toward Britain and ultimately toward the United States, but I don't think you're going to have... There was never an idea that somebody in... uh, Palermo or somebody in Madrid or somebody in Amsterdam was going to go all the way over to Estonia and die uh, to stop Putin either in the EU or or NATO. It's going to have an effect on NATO too because um, there's the same fault lines within NATO that there are to some degree in, in the EU.
0: So what does that mean for the next president? Whoever gets sworn in in January of 2017, when they're looking at this landscape, which is pretty dramatically different in a lot of respects than what they would have gotten eight years ago, what are the imperatives for them when it comes to thinking through um, security issues?
1: Well, there were only two European countries that had militaries, so to speak, and that was Britain and, to a lesser extent, France. So I think that American president will focus on those two countries and try to have some Idea that these are the three participants in NATO: France, Britain, and the United States, and then uh, that will be the basis of trying to protect Western Europe. I see the big loser in this is Germany. Germany has a lot of ill will now in Europe because of the immigration and the financial crisis of the past ten years. And uh, of all, you know, a Pew, Pew, a Pew poll last year showed that of all countries in Europe, the highest anti-Americanism was found in Germany. So I, I have a feeling that it's going to be drift away both from Europe and from the United States in a way that it has done traditionally in the twentieth century. And that's and that's something we have to watch.
0: Why do you suppose why are the why are the British why are the British different? You know, they, they had never completely bought into the EU the way that most of the other member countries had, and they're also here, sort of the first ones in a sense, to really st- you know stick out their chin and say, eh, "I don't think so." What is it? Is there something about the British character that makes them
1: more likely to have gone well, down the road they did? It's a lot of things historically and socially. They were never. They were part of the Roman Empire, but they were distant. They were a little bit apart from. Europe that was inside the Rhine and then Danube. They weren't like Germany. It was completely out of it. So they were Romanized, but they were different. They were not a part of Rome. They were more Protestant than Catholic after the Reformation. Uh, they were a sea power, so they were never part of the actual European landmass. So they developed a navy, and they never expected to find safety or prosperity in Europe. They were a mercantile global empire, and they had the best navy in the world for four 400 years. Their Enlightenment, especially the Scottish Enlightenment, was different than the French Enlightenment, the Continental Enlightenment. It did not put... It wasn't a Rousseau. It wasn't a Voltaire. If you look at what David Hume or, or Jeremy, Jeremy Bentham or Adam Smith were saying, it was much more emphasis on liberty, and uh, it didn't have that violent, anti-religious streak that was the French Enlightenment. So, And then it... I think in the last 200 years, it spawned the United States and these large, successful British Commonwealth countries like Australia or Canada or New Zealand. And uh, so it it had a way, it had an alternative to Europe in a way that France, is, its colonial experience was not, not the same at all and Germany really didn't have one. Germany had a, a record to be ashamed of in the 20th century. So Britain had an alternative to the European continental landmass economically and politically and socially and culturally. And I think it's good for everybody that it's starting to appreciate that again.
0: So the last question that I'll ask you then, when, when we look back at yesterday, when we look back at, at this vote, let's say, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, how do you think we're going to remember this historically?
1: Well, I think it's going to be very good. It's going to be sort of like the original vote in the 50s to form the common market, which was a good idea of six countries in Europe uh, to sort of make sure there was a free trade and out of free trade would become friendship and there wouldn't be another war with Germany, et cetera. Et cetera. But uh, I think it's going to be a good idea because it's going to transform the EU. If I could use the word transform for something, it'll probably destroy it. But it's going to go back, <laughs> I think, to a common market a loose economic trade association and we won't i think in 20 years you won't see a euro and you won't see this super super national governing body so it's going to be good for everybody the only problem will be the german problem because that's the problem we've always had through three centuries and they're going to have to find a way to strengthen nato and and incorporate germany
0: all right That's all the time that we have for today. Join us next week for the next installment of the Classics Podcast. And in the meantime, you can stop by hoover.org where you can read all of Professor Hansen's commentary. We'll see you back here soon. For Victor Davis Hansen and the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Senek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.